1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're speaking with Christina Cowan. She has 20 years of experience as a reporter, writer, and editor. Today, we're discussing her book, When Postpartum Packs a Punch, Fighting Back and Finding Joy. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. I'm so happy to be here. So what inspired you to write this book?
2: Well, a few things. So, um... As a journalist, I was very interested in uh, discovering how many women had suffered through postpartum depression um, the way I had. Um, And as a human being, I wanted to help them. Um, So I was interested in the story, really, of what I was going through. So I just started talking to people anecdotally around me. And the more I talked, the more I heard, to my surprise, that other people I knew had either had postpartum depression and, you know, sought help or didn't seek help, but certainly they, they never shared their stories. So um, I saw that the story was bigger than I thought it was initially. I figured I would pitch it to a couple of publications. And then I thought, well, I think I could probably write a book if I spent the time. And so I launched into it. Um, and I, I wanted to do that for a few reasons. Um, I wanted to take a literary approach to the topic and not just a journalistic one, so I could better underscore the importance of um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, in which I found, you know, they're woefully undercovered, um, and they don't get much attention. So I could get at the complexity of the topic in an interesting way through a book, in a way that stories wouldn't allow, you know, just on news sites or in, you know, print publications. So Um, And then the other side is that I wrote the book I couldn't find when I had postpartum depression. Uh, I'm a big reader, and I wanted something to hold in my hands, something that was hopeful, and I really wanted stories from other moms who had been where I was, but they came out better and stronger. And I couldn't find that book anywhere. I, I found plenty of books on medical advice and what to do, um, but nothing from the personal standpoint. So that's the way I wrote the book. Um, you know, I wove in my personal story, but really the focus is on the stories of the other parents I interviewed—the moms and the dads—and then I um, incorporated wisdom from the people who I think are the smartest and the most empathetic experts in the field. And then, of course, I've got the, the latest research in there as well.
1: So. So can you tell us what your experience was? Sure. Um, So my first
2: pregnancy um, was in 2008, 2009. I had my son March second, two 2009. It was a terrific pregnancy, no incidents, no health issues whatsoever. Um, And it was so good that my doctor at the time said, well, why don't we induce ahead of your, your due date? You know, have the baby early, I'll be on call. You can come in, get on with your life. And, you know, being a first-time mom, I thought that sounded great. I could do it on my own schedule, on my own terms. I'd be in control. What I didn't realize um, was that when you induce ahead of time, it's generally an unhealthy thing for the baby unless the baby's health is already in danger or the mom's life is in danger. Um, So I went in, and they um, hooked me up to a a Pitocin drip, and that Pitocin didn't um, react well, or my body didn't react well to the Pitocin. And I ended up um, having, it was about a 12-hour labor, but the birth was traumatic. I was injured. Um, My OB had to use forceps. Um, So I ended up, when my son Noah was two days old, back in the ER with severe complications, Um, And I couldn't go to the bathroom, all sorts of things. And so once that was all repaired, um, after the trip to the ER, I went back to my OB. She hooked me up to a catheter. It was physically grueling for about 10 days. Once I was healed from that, um, my mental wounds bubbled up to the surface. Um, so I started crying and I couldn't stop. I cried everything, things that were happy, people calling me to see how I was, gifts that would come in, I was crying at all of it. And then uh, I had intrusive images. Um these are I mean Brookshields kinda of made these famous in her book. Um, but you know, I would see the baby flying out the window or what if I threw him down the trash chute or you know, um, things like that. And I wasn't I wasn't asking for these thoughts. I wasn't sitting there coming up with them, they just kinda of felt on top of me which was alarming so I knew I didn't feel right and I called my doctor within two weeks of all this and I told my husband I told everybody who would listen you know I don't feel like myself so my OB said well why don't we try some antidepressants and a talk therapist and I was initially hesitant about the antidepressants because I had never been on them I didn't know anyone with any kind of depression um but I thought, you know what, if it's going to help, I'm going to try it. I can always go off. So I went on, and within 10 days, the crying spell stopped. Um, so I stayed on uh, Zoloft, the sertraline, the generic form of Zoloft. I stayed on that for four months. I talked to the therapist for about the same time,
3: and then I felt much
2: better. And, and then when my son was about nine months old, I started having other symptoms, uh, sort of like the postpartum, but different. Um, I was sad, but not quite as sad. I had, my hair was falling out, my joints ached, I had extreme fatigue. So, uh, my OB ran some blood tests and we found that I had developed Hashimoto's disease. Um, as a result of the birth. So that certainly played a factor. I don't know how much of a factor it played in my postpartum depression because we didn't test my thyroid levels. I wish that we had. I wish I knew that women in their mid-30s could develop Hashimoto's because of childbirth. Um, So now I tell everybody (laughs) that's what I went through. Um, But, you know, by the time my son was 15 months old and I was on thyroid medicine, that's when I was fully feeling back to like a really strong version of myself.
1: Well, you know, if, he he was 15 months old, so that that's a long time to 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 take to recover from a birth and I just wonder were you prepared that something like this could happen to you? Did anybody talk to you about it or 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 were you kind of blindsided by what you experienced?
2: No, no one talked to me, but I was definitely blindsided. I, my husband and I had taken a class, a childbirth class, uh, before my son was born, and it was led by a nurse at the hospital, and she was very nice. Um, but all she said was, after you have a baby, sometimes... You might feel like you don't want to let the baby go, and you might not want other people to touch it. So if you feel like that, call your doctor. That's not right. She didn't mention anything about crying, spells, postpartum depression. Um, I think she maybe used the term blues, maybe. Um, Certainly nothing about postpartum anxiety or OCD or intrusive images. Um, You know, no one else in my family had experienced it. Well. I mean, they didn't talk to me about it if they had experienced it. Um, and my friends, you know, most of them didn't have anything like that. So, um, and I didn't, I didn't think I would have it. You know, I thought it was going to be perfect and great the way everybody says childbirth is supposed to be. So, and I think that's a, a Western misconception. You know, childbirth is very hard, even if it goes exceedingly well without complications. Your body goes through a violent physical act to bring another person into the world, and there's no way you're going to come bouncing out, you know, jumping around,
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know. So. um, But we're not we're not doing jumpy jacks after childbirth, or (laughs) no, No, particularly that when you're injured.
2: (laughs) No. Um, Yeah, so so I wish someone had, so now, you know, I talk to people I know, and I don't do it in the spirit of fear. Um, it's, It's in the spirit of educating people, you know, that these things can happen. Ideally, they won't, and chances are they won't. But if something happens, plenty of people have been there. There are plenty of safety networks developed, doctors who know about this stuff. You might have to hunt a little bit to find one, but they're out there. And you can, it's these, these illnesses are 100% curable. And I don't think people realize that. And I
3: didn't.
2: When I went through it, I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm crying like this. And I have these images. No one will ever be able to fix me. I'm, I'm horrible. And then you get sucked into this spiral of thinking, well, I must be a horrible mom, too. You know, I shouldn't have this baby. And that's really that's a slippery slope. And it's hard to climb back up out of that on your own. And, and I couldn't. I needed help. So, um, and, but fortunately, I spoke up and I got the help that I needed. Not, not everyone is, is as fortunate. So,
1: Well, in, in your book, you, you talk about um, th- there's different things. There's not just postpartum depression, but there is postpartum anxiety disorder, OCD disorder, PTSD, and psychosis. So can you just touch on a little bit of what those are so that uh, people can understand?
2: Yeah, sure. So those are sort of the big five that I cover. There are others like um, bipolar um, that I didn't go into, and I say that in the book. But postpartum depression is the biggest one that people know about the most. Uh, that can include feelings of anger, sadness, irritability, all the things I talked about, guilt. Um, you have a lack of interest in the baby or maybe you're afraid to be around the baby. Um, you can't eat or, or sleep well. Um, you feel hopeless. Um, and sometimes, you know, in the worst cases, there are thoughts of of harming the baby or yourself. Um, I didn't have those. The, those, I think, the experts say that's severe postpartum depression, and um, you know, so that's a special category. Um, postpartum anxiety is very common. Um, a lot of research says now that it's as common or more common than postpartum depression, but it, we don't recognize it, um, and. And the research also shows that certainly these two are, you know, they're coexisting. So if you have depression, chances are you've got the anxiety, too. um, And the anxiety means extreme worries and fears about the baby's health, about safety. Sometimes you can have panic attacks, chest pain, dizziness, just feeling like you're out of control, um, numbness and tingling. Um, Postpartum OCD, um, you can also get that um, during pregnancy, so it can also be prenatal OCD. Um, But that includes, the the biggest symptom there is repetitive, upsetting, unwanted thoughts or mental images, and those are what I talked about, um, intrusive images. They're called also obsessions. Um, A woman might, you know, she might also have compulsions where you do things over and over, like checking locks and checking the baby um, and that is, is her sort of way of reducing the anxiety that the unwanted thoughts create um, but they're extremely disturbing and you know most women who have them, a majority are unlikely to ever act on them and you know in fact you go to lengths to avoid the source of, of the thought and I one woman in my book she had an, um, an aversion to scissors I believe and I think at Christmas time instead of Instead of using scissors to cut the wrapping paper, she just tore it and and she you know she hid all the sharp objects. and so that's kind of an example of in you know, the horror that that you feel at these images and what you do to get away from things. so um, and and I also say that OCD is often confused with psychosis and it is not. So you know, I think a, a big mistake that some some caregivers have made is that they treat a woman for psychosis and she really has postpartum OCD
3: um, and, and the medications
2: and the treatment are very different so it's important that care, you know caregivers understand the differences. Um, postpartum post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD um, that's Often caused by a traumatic um, experience in childbirth, um, or it can be kicked up by a prior trauma like um, sexual abuse, especially, or physical abuse in in a marriage uh, or from a family member. And those women who get PTSD will have flashbacks to the trauma, feelings of anxiety, and wanting to relate. Um, I'm sorry, wanting to avoid things that are related. To the event, so not wanting to go back to the hospital where the baby was born, or you know, not wanting to think about the childbirth, that sort of thing. And then um, postpartum psychosis is it's it's different than these others because it's a full break with reality. Um, Women with these other four are, you know, generally speaking, they're grounded in reality. They know what they're feeling is wrong, and they're in a in a place where they can ask for help. But women with psychosis will hear and see voices or images that other people can't. So those are hallucinations. And the the woman might believe that um, things aren't true, um, and she'll start to distrust the people around her. Um, she can have a period of confusion or memory loss, to seem manic, um, but in postpartum psychosis is relatively rare, but it's severe and very dangerous, and, and so that's why you know people around a woman with psychosis need to be very aware of what she's doing, and I think part of that is prevention. You know, knowing before, even before she gets pregnant, is she at risk for this? Um, you know, if she develops it, um, what's the game plan? How can we protect her? Things like that, and screening, you know, from caregivers is, is important there too.
1: So. so that, I mean, that's a, a lot that can happen and, and um, almost seems overwhelming. You're, you're just wanting to, you know, do what is natural, having a baby. And, um, um, you know, what are the risks of something like this happening to somebody? Because like is, it, is it a rare thing that somebody can suffer from one of these or is it more common than we think?
2: Um, well, postpartum psychosis is, is the rarest, um, but, I mean, I say in my book that postpartum depression certainly is more common than we think. Um, I quote different research throughout the book, and there are you know, several different recent studies that give some different numbers. But I, um, I sort of sum it all up with one range um, that's um, typically the range is between 12 and 25% of new mothers. Now, that depends on... How you're defining postpartum depression, so, um, but I think that's a pretty safe range. Um, and then you have um, some high risk groups that see rates as steep as forty percent or more, um, and that's from the book called Depression and New Mothers." Um, during pregnancy, the, the rates uh, are between fourteen and twenty three percent of women who will battle some symptoms of depression, and that's from uh, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. So, Um, Those numbers are pretty high. I mean, it's not like it's happening, you know, know, to 10 people every year or something. Uh, (laughs) No. So they're certainly worth paying attention to. Um, But again, you know, it's it's alarming when you think about the the overall numbers and then even more alarming when you think it's happening to these women, but they're not getting help. And these are the statistics that we know about. What about the women who never report and don't get help? So some people say... You know, that it could be as many as 1 million
1: women a year in the
2: United States suffering. That's a big number. But if they get help and the right help, they're, it's, it's very treatable. You know, there's plenty of, of ways of treating these illnesses and, and helping the woman recover. So...
1: Well, um, we're gonna talk more about this after this break. Um, We're talking today with Christina Cowan and we're discussing her book, When Postpartum Packs a Punch. We'll be back shortly.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or a single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480 294
1: Hi everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking with Christina Cowan and we're discussing her book When Postpartum Packs a Punch. Now, Christina, I just want to go back to your story a little bit. I mean, we talked about what happened um, a lot after, um, but you also went through a, a physical trauma when when you gave birth to your son. Uh, you know, it was more than just the, the baby blues after, but you were, um, you know, physically suffering for, for quite a while. And do you think that 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 Played a role in in how you felt, and how was that addressed when you went through that by the healthcare system? Did they see that as a flag, or did they, you know, what what happened with that?
2: Yeah, so I was injured um, during the birth. My my OB asked um, if it was okay to use forceps because my son was sort of stuck in the birth canal and. Um, he He was there, but he wasn't coming out fully, so I would push, and he would come out halfway and go back in. So she used the forceps, and I didn't even realize that they you know they still use those. So I said, okay to avoid a c-section. And I don't know how many stitches she needed to to repair me afterwards, but my husband said it was many. And I was in sort of that twilight after the baby was born because of the very strong epidural and the medication they needed to support the forceps. so I didn't really realize what she was doing until, you know, the next morning and how sore I was. And she didn't tell me, you know, really, that you have a lot of stitches, you're going to need to take care, uh, you know, things like that. The nurses were okay, but they were worried about my pain, So they gave me, um, you know, those painkillers, is it, what was it, like hydrocodone or something, which I didn't like and I didn't want to stay on, and those can constipate you. So when you're stitched up, um, you know, in the birth area um, and sort of, you know, in the area where you go to the bathroom, which I certainly was stitched up, that made it almost impossible to go to the bathroom, and the hospital didn't check um, to see whether I could move my bowels before I left. And so when I got home, I couldn't, and that made things, it was horrific. And, and that for sure played a part mentally with me because I, I've i never been at the point where I, I you know, I had never at that point where I felt like I was going to die, and I thought I was going to die. Uh, really, I did because I had, you know, I had no way to go to the bathroom. My doctor, I felt like, didn't understand. She just kept saying, well, take laxatives. They weren't working and I'm trying to nurse my son and I'm new at all of this and we didn't have family in and I was terrified. I mean I was I was Sobbing, and my husband didn't know what to do, so that's what led us into the ER. And then in the ER, um, when I got there, the woman who checked me in said, Why do you have your newborn here? You know, he should get sick. There are a lot of sick people in the ER here. And then I, you know, I started crying, and she said, Oh, well, it's, you know, it's okay. I'm sure it will be fine. We'll get you a, a private room now where you can go and sit. I don't think she realized that, it, you know, the weight of what she said, and I already felt terrible. Um, And, you know, I thought, what if I can't go to the bathroom? My body was swelling. I felt worse then in the ER than I did during childbirth. I was in more pain and physical trauma than I was having the baby, uh, which in no way did I see that coming. And the terror of that, I mean, I certainly had some sort of traumatic stress afterward. I didn't have full-on postpartum PTSD Um, and I didn't have full-on postpartum OCD either. It all kind of fed into postpartum depression, but certainly that physical trauma weighed heavily on my mind, and and it fed the intrusive images, and I think it just was all a big storm.
1: Well, it it sounds like... um You may have had PTSD from the birth itself, just from everything that you went through. And, and, you know, to me hearing that, I wonder why you wouldn't feel bad after you were so traumatized physically and emotionally going through all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true too.
2: Yep, you're right. Good point. I did you know, having seeing these forceps. You know, them. You know, basically put them into your body, and then the baby, they pulled him out, and I heard his head crack. And you know, his <laughs> he was fine, but he had these big um, welts on his face. And he, you know, I'm thinking, my he's giving me my baby, and he's injured. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's bleeding, and they said, oh, he's fine. You know, newborns heal; their skin will heal by tomorrow. And you know, he was he was fine, but. When I look at pictures of him and then my daughter who was born two and a half years later, no physical trauma with her birth, no postpartum depression, she looks just round and happy and healthy and my son looked yellow and like he was traumatized physically from it and I, you know, he doesn't remember any of it but I do and I, I can see the difference in their faces when I look at their newborn pictures and I, I know it was traumatic for him, so.
1: So um, when, when you had your daughter after going through this, um, I mean, I can imagine that you um, did things a little differently just because you had gone through something. So how did you prepare yourself and your husband and your family and your doctors for what, was, for what you wanted to be different?
2: Yeah. I, so I did everything differently. I, we had moved. We lived in uh, downtown Chicago when we had my son, and we moved out to a suburb of Chicago when, um, by the time my daughter came, so we switched hospitals. I switched OB practices. I told the first day I went into my new OB, I told um, her all about my son, what had happened mentally and physically. I said I I will not have a repeat of that. Uh, I don't want to induce unless the baby's in danger or I'm in danger, no inducing, um, I want a limited epidural, um, I want things on my terms. And she said, yep, that's what we're going to do. And, and the whole, she was in a practice of, I think, four or five physicians. And each doctor knew it was all in my file. We talked about it every time I went in. Um, the nurses knew. Um, you know. So I made them aware of what had happened, what I wanted, And then, you know, when I went in, um, we waited for my daughter to come, and uh, my water broke when she, like, I think the day or two after she was due. And I went in, and I had, you know, we waited for her to come. I had a a slight epidural. I could feel things. I, I slept through the night. I woke up. I pushed two or three times, and she came out without incident. And it was remarkably different. And, you know, the doctor said, this, you know, could have been the case with your first birth if they had made a couple of, of adjustments, you know. Um, so, you know, it was redemptive of what I went through with my son, and, and, and I left the hospital. They made sure I could go to the bathroom, both, you know, um, and, and that I could urinate and move my bowels. I, w- I went that same day. I was relieved. Um, I had changed my eating patterns too to to make sure that my digestion was smooth so that I wouldn't get constipated. Um, I changed that probably a month or two before she was born um, so all those things kind of fed into me feeling like I was more in control, whether or not that's true. Um, you know childbirth things can can go awry but but I did control the things that I could and um I was ready for postpartum depression if I came home with it. You know, I I knew that I was at higher risk, but I was kind of praying that, you know, it was my first episode was largely linked to my circumstances, and I didn't have anything with my daughter. I had, you know, a couple of days I would get sad for about 10 minutes around 5 o'clock, and then it went away, and I thought, wow, that must be, that's it. I mean, this is like, you know, I had a little bit of the blues, and then I'm better, and... I mean, I'm not sure I even cried. It, it, You know, it was great. So um, that's what I I tell women now. You know, when you go in as a first-time mom, it's hard, I think. You don't have necessarily that sort of street credibility as, you know, you've been a mom before you've done this, but it's still your body. It's your experience. It's your child. You can still speak up for yourselves and, you know, tell your husband or your partner, anybody who's going to be there with you, your doula, your nurse, um, what you want and, and have them represent you, too. And, and you really have to be your own best advocate um, with the healthcare care system, I think, at least here in the States, and say, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, and, you know, show them that you're educated about it. And I think, you know, you have a better chance of, of getting what you want and need. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I, I, I agree with you. We do have to be our own advocate, and, and we always are because it's our bodies. Um, but I, I also wonder why you had to advocate for the, the healthiest birth to avoid postpartum or any traumas when that should have been, you know, their job to be on your side and make sure that didn't happen. Yeah, I wonder that too.
2: I mean, I don't think our... The U.S. healthcare system is is there yet. Uh, I don't think it's built up in a way, and there's a whole sorts of factors that that go into that. I mean, I have friends who are doctors, and I I love them, and I think they do very hard work. And um, I think a lot of doctors in America are squeezed, and they don't have a lot of time. and And you know, certainly the education on postpartum depression and perinatal mood disorders isn't, you know, our doctors is educated. Do OBs know as much about these illnesses as they should or how to recognize them? And, you know, they might not have the time um, to recognize them. So there are limitations of the healthcare system. And so, certainly doulas know. um, You know, I interviewed a doula for my book and they're aware. They know how common this stuff is. The therapists know, um, especially the ones who are trained in perinatal um, healthcare, they know about this stuff. So there are people out there who know, and there's there's certainly advocates here in this country pushing, you know, for our healthcare system to, to open up to these women. And we've had a, um, a few just in, in the last year, a few perinatal centers open up explicitly designed to help women with PMADs and, you know, with experts in this field. And you really have to be a specialist because I think if you just go to a generalized um, psychiatrist or psychologist, they may or may not know about these issues. And they are special. It is a special time when you have a baby, and it's postpartum depression is different than depression in, say, a middle-aged man who you know has different issues, and you can't treat them the same.
1: So. Um you know, one thing um, I'm also wondering is how does this affect our partners?
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it really depends um, on, on the individual. Um, you know, I think what's really important for a spouse or a partner to do is to pay really close attention to what the mom is doing, and to what she's saying, um, both are important because she might say things to hide how she's feeling. And if you know if she's doing that, then you really have to pay attention to what she's doing. Is she eating well? Is she sleeping? Those are two big ones. Um, one of the dads I interviewed in my book, his wife had severe postpartum depression, and I mean he didn't see it coming. And they had tried for a baby for, for quite a while, and they really wanted this baby. And then, you know, they have it, and she feels very ill. So he looked, you know, at what, she, you know, was she eating and sleeping? Um, and he said kind of in hindsight, he realized those were two of the big red flags. And he tells other dads now, um, you know, look look at what she's doing, you know, with her food and her sleeping. Um and also, I think, you know, how is a woman feeling emotional? Is she crying all the time? I mean, I, was, in my case, I cried constantly, and my husband knew I wasn't hiding it. Um, but certainly, that was out of character for me. Um, and then, you know, also, is is a is a mom avoiding the baby, or is she overly protective? And those are kind of two sides of the coin, but um, sometimes... You know, you have an aversion to the child or you're afraid to pick it up. You know, you think you're going to drop it, things like that. Um, or, if, you know, if she's extremely angry or irritable, um, anything like this, um, behavior that seems off, um, a partner should really try to get help. And, and I say that, you know, get help from someone that you trust who won't be judgmental. And that doesn't always mean a family member. It sometimes will be a knowledgeable friend or, um, you know, Postpartum Support International is a wonderful resource. They have a warm line that you can call. It's an 800 number. And, you know, often the moms will call here, but I would say the spouses um, or the husbands, the dads can call too and say, hey, this is what's happening with my wife. What do we do?
1: Um, and that's a free resource, so. Okay, um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Christina Cowan, and we're discussing her book, When Postpartum Packs a Punch. We'll be back shortly.
0: The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Christina Cowan, and we're discussing her book, When Postpartum Packs a Punch. So, Christina, um, one thing, you know, you it, you said that when you were going through your postpartum um, issues that uh, people weren't... Um, you know, there wasn't any information the the way that you needed. And um, you know, one thing is there's also there's a lot of stigma around postpartum depression. I mean, there is around depression anyway, but um, I think more so about about this topic. And why do you think um, that that's going on?
2: Well, it's complicated, I think. But the main the main issue I find is that people are afraid of what other people will think of you because. An illness in your brain somehow means a deficiency, but, you know, say an illness in your stomach or if you have breast cancer, that's oh, that's your body, right? That's not your fault. You didn't ask for it, but if you have a mental illness, well, you know, why do you have that? What did you do wrong? Can't you just pick yourself up and be happy and go for a walk? You know, these sort of simplistic views of mental health and, and really our brain is the most complicated organ in, in our body. It's so complex and we you know there's still so much research going on to figure out what the brain is capable of doing and what it does so yeah, I don't know how we can entertain those ideas that you know that you can just make it well. Um, you can have a chemical imbalance and, and have depression. Um, you can also have circumstances that affect the brain and, and you know you can seek therapy that will will correct patterns in your brain. I think so like EMDR, um, which is a great um, treatment for um, postpartum PTSD or any kind of PTSD.
3: Um, I found
2: that in my research. So, um, you know, I think that feeds into the stigma the the lack of understanding really Um, and then the other thing is that we don't talk about mental illness we're afraid to talk about it but truly the more that we talk about something like mental illness the more others will talk because we by laying down our words and our experiences we create a safety net for someone else and then they jump into the net and say well I had this too Um, and this happened to me too and and you're talking about it so I'm going to talk about it and by doing that we're shedding light um, and the light is what drives away this darkness, and mental illness flourishes in the darkness. It just grows and grows and gets worse, and, um, you know, I, I learned that with, with the intrusive thoughts. When, you know, when I would have them, I would tell my husband, and then they lost their power. You know, I would tell him, and sometimes he would laugh, and I thought, Why? how are you laughing? This is a horrible thing. And then he, you know, he would say, "You know how ridiculous this is. <laughs> this is this is part of you not feeling well. This isn't you." And they, you know, it's like popping a balloon. It deflated it. And by airing what I was thinking, that helped me tremendously. And I would tell my therapist too. And I thought, well. Who cares? She's here to help me. If she, you know, she's not going to think less of me because I have these thoughts. And we have to do that with with all forms of mental illness and depression. And say, you know, we're human beings. We we're all, you know, prone to to some sort of illness. We can get these things, but we can get well too. And you um, know, really, talking is one of the simplest things you can do to help yourself. Um, and you know, depression can be as severe as cancer, Um, I learned that talking with a friend of mine who's a a psychologist, and she said sometimes with depression it can be stage 4, you can get to a point where it's very difficult to treat, and you don't ever want to get to that point, just like, you know, you don't want stage 4 cancer, not that you can control that, but, you know, with depression I feel like you can get help before that, um, you know, and, and so talking is a big part of that.
1: Well, you know, we made a lot of strides with, with mental illness, but um, there is a lot of stigma around it, and I just wonder, just, you know, the example that you gave before the break of of the a couple who had wanted a baby for a long time and then she suffered postpartum depression. I just wonder if sometimes there's some shame around that because you finally have what you wanted all this time and you don't feel good and 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 you know that you should. Like I, I think we yeah. can logically think around those things and, and you know, you said a lot of women probably aren't getting help for this and I wonder if part of it is that, that there's the shame of, well I have what I always wanted, so why am I crying all the time? Why don't I feel good?
2: Yeah, no, that's right. And shame is a is a really it's it's dangerous, right? Um, and it's it's nothing we should ever feel related to. Well, I mean, we just shouldn't feel it, right? But um,
3: it,
2: related to mental illness, especially because you know it's, we don't invite it, and um, but yet we feel ashamed, and you know certainly. I did. I mean, I, and I, you know, I interviewed women who, you know, many had tried and had, you know, fertility issues. I didn't include all the women I interviewed in the book, but I heard that story more than once that I tried so long for this baby, and I finally, I have it, and then I don't feel well, and I feel like I don't want the baby. I want my old life back, Um in my case, you know i was I was scared to have kids. I always was because I had lost my mom as a young girl, and I didn't think I had what it took to be a mom, but you know i I want I still wanted kids, but I was afraid, and so I thought you know when when I wasn't feeling well in those first weeks after childbirth, I thought, well, this is my payback. I didn't really want this baby, and now I'm sick, and It's <laughs> no. not true, none of that is no. true, so. Um, but I, too, felt that. I felt ashamed for, you know, ever thinking I couldn't be a mom and then, you know, maybe I didn't really want the baby. But um, when, when you're sick and when you have something mentally, you know, has gone wrong, none of that makes sense to you and you can't step back and be objective because you're stuck in it, you know. But when you get well, you can see how all of that was, un, you know, was wrongheaded and, you know, it's not the truth, I guess.
1: Yeah. So um, if somebody does recognize that this is happening to them, what is the first thing that you recommend that they do?
2: Yeah. So I always tell people, um, get, seek help, right? And, and that sounds easier than it is, um, but find one person that you trust. Um, and it might be a co-worker, might be a friend, it might not be a family member. Now, sometimes it is, um, but I, I certainly came across this in my reporting on the book that family is, you know, is tricky. And, that, you know, a mom or a dad or in-laws might not understand, you know, why you don't feel well. And so they're just going to tell you, oh, well, you know, just sleep more or, you know, try to feel better or pick yourself up by your bootstraps, which doesn't really work. So find someone, and don't feel bad if it's not someone in your family um, that will help you. If you don't feel like you can um, talk to a person within your network or your circle, um, there's Postpartum Support International. And I, the warm line I mentioned earlier, um, that warm line is staffed with volunteers who are wonderful people. Um, you know, They're trained to, to give you resources and references and suggestions for what to do and there's no stigma, and there's no judgment, and all they want is to help you get better. So um, there's an 800 number um, on their website that you can call, and um, I believe it's open, you know, 365 days of the year. It's um, uh, 800-944-4PPD, you know, and it's, it's a great resource, and, you know, you don't have to, it's anonymous, really, so...
1: Um, so, do you find that when, when people do reach out to their doctor, that they're generally getting the help that they need?
2: Um, that's difficult to say, it depends, um, depends on the doctor. Um, some of the women in the book, yes they did, some no, they had to keep um, looking. <clears throat> you know, for a doctor that would listen to them. So I think it really depends on sort of the enlightenment of your caregiver. Uh, in my case, you know, my doctor knew right away what I was dealing with, and she she was fast. And she said, "Let's that's, let's attack this. We don't need you to feel like this." Um, you know, I I know of other women who didn't have that experience, whose whose doctors said, "Oh, you're just adjusting. It's hard. Motherhood's hard." Um, so I think it's hit or miss. Um, I think we have a long way to go before every, and I, and I do think it depends on, you know, not every woman goes through an OB to have a, a baby, right? Um, but I do think that OBs should be trained in this, um, should be required. I don't know if it's in medical school or where, um, have some exposure to all forms of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, how to help the women. Um, maybe they work with the nursing staff. Maybe they have a therapist, you know, that they um, have a liaison with, um, something of that nature. Um, because we do have plenty of therapists in the country who who know about this stuff, and, and more are, are getting trained all the time. So, um, mm-hmm. Well and it yeah, sounds we- like
1: it, the the information should be also more avail- available to the women so that they can empower themselves more even if they're saying it's 14% that's a lot of women <laughs> who are who are affected and um, you know um, I, I think instead of that, you know, one line that you got in class that they should explain basically what we're talking about here, what to see and what to expect um, and how to prevent it or how to treat it, what to do.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think like a brochure would be great from every OB or, you know, whomever the woman is seeing. Um, regularly for her, her, you know, while she's pregnant. Um, also, the um, pediatricians, I think, and, and a lot of the the experts have said this, the pediatricians should also be versed in this and screening because, you know, you don't go back to your OB for six weeks here in the U.S. after you have the baby. Six weeks. A lot can happen in six weeks. So mm-hmm. um, if if you're seeing your pediatrician, you see your pediatrician almost immediately. You're, you're taking the baby in all the time. So, the pediatrician should screen i know my my pediatrician screened um, certainly um, and i had a, i already was in treatment by the time my pediatrician gave me my my screening and i said oh, i'm you know i'm on medicine and they i think they were happy that i had acted but i was glad to see that they had something in place you know to help um I think if, you know, that would be a wonderful thing on both ends, to have the OB, because women get, you know, like I said, you get antenatal depression and anxiety. That happens, too. So, you know, while the woman's pregnant, if if you can be monitoring how she's feeling, then, too, and then on the other side, so...
1: Yeah, that definitely makes sense, um, you know, like you said, it was within, I think, 10 days you called your do- your OB um, to to get on treatment, so if you had waited that six weeks for the follow-up, you would have been really far down into that instead of 10 days in.
2: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, and I mean, I'm kind of an impatient person, so that worked to my advantage there, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't tolerate it, and I wanted to feel better, I think, for the woman who has a higher threshold or is more patient, you know, don't, don't take that tack because, you know, sometimes, you know, the, I mean, I didn't hear many cases where the postpartum depression went away for women, um, but some of the experts have said, you know, sometimes it, maybe you'll get better, um, <laughs> but most of the time you don't. You can't get If you have full-on diagnosis of one of these, if you have full-on anxiety or depression or OCD, you're not going to get better by yourself. You're going to tamp it down maybe to where you can you can function, but you won't really feel, you know, an optimal health. And then it's going to pop back up. It always does. Stuff with mental health always resurfaces somewhere. Um, it might come about differently, but it will affect you later on, and it might be worse then. So um, it's to your advantage to act as quickly as possible.
1: So you mentioned EMDR. What is that?
2: Yeah. So EMDR, I think, is is one of the most interesting forms of treatment. Um, I just did a webinar on November first on um, trauma, and I uh, for Northwestern University, and I and I went through that and on that webinar all about EMDR and the specifics. So. Um, I can give a link to that later. It's on YouTube. But basically, it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a form of therapy that uses bilateral stimulation, like a patient's eye movements going from side to side. And that helps target and process uh, disturbing memories and feelings that are related to a trauma. Uh, It's really good for treating postpartum PTSD and anyone suffering from any kind of unresolved issues that... um, you know, stem from trauma, um, and I think you know I, there are there is a group an um, in EMDR institute that um, offers um, a list of providers who use EMDR in their practice. I talk about um, some in my book. Um, Phyllis Klaus, she she interviewed with me and told me all of how she uses EMDR in her practice for postpartum patients and anyone who has trauma of any age or gender. Um, And then there's also a book, a new book by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. He, I think, is one of the leading experts on trauma and PTSD. Um, His newest book is called The Body Keeps the Score, Uh, and he talks a lot about EMDR. There's a whole chapter in there about it, and um, he really emphasizes that EMDR uh, doesn't desensitize people to something traumatic that they experience, but what it what it does allow them to do is integrate the trauma into their lives. And so um, this bilateral stimulation kind of integrates these traumatic events which kind of function like free radicals. They're floating around and they keep pestering you and you can't make sense of them. Your brain can't. And so what EMDR is, is it's a therapy to pull them into your experience and let you move on in a
1: healthier way. So... Um, Well, that sounds uh, like a great addition to the treatment. Um, Now, is there a way that people can get a hold of you or find your book if they want more information?
2: Yeah, so my website is Christina Cowan, my first and last name. So just K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-C-O-W-A-N, ChristinaCowan.com. I -I I have all the information there about my book, uh, but you can also find it on Amazon Barnes & Noble, at Powell's. Um, It's in a bunch of local libraries in the United States and um, more all the time. I had a a review from Publishers Weekly that was really good, so um, you can find a review of it on Publishers Weekly. Um, I'm also on Twitter. at My my handle is just at Christina Cowan, and I have a a Facebook author page. And, you know, if people do read my book and they like it, I would love um, for support of Amazon reviews, Um, you know, anything that you gain from the book that you thought was helpful would be wonderful um, because that helps, those reviews help more people find my book, um, which is my goal is to help more parents, uh, especially.
1: Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing this information uh, for women and families and uh, for joining me today to tell your story.
2: Thank you. It was great to be here, Rebecca.
1: And I want to thank everybody for listening. Just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition
0: of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.